Hey, good morning, everybody. Hope you're doing well. My name is Chris. Uh, it's great to be with you this week as we carry on this series called Make Life Work. Uh, it's a four-week series. Started it last week, uh, and we're talking about this whole thing about how do we live out our faith on our front line. So, if you missed last week, or if you miss any of the messages, as always, you can just go to fbcnext.com, click on the catch-up page, and you can watch um, all of the previous messages or listen to the previous messages and other stuff um, from the past um, as well. And the whole point about this series is we're trying to get create a new perspective on your day-to-day, whatever your day-to-day may be. You know, we want to make life work. Every single one of us has a front line. For many of us, that's our paid employment, but for some of us, it's something else. It might be um, our families. It might be, you know, maybe we're involved in coaching a sports team or um, heavily involved in a leisure club. It might be at the school gate, um, dropping kids off and interacting with other parents. Whoever you are, you have a front line. And the stuff we want to look at throughout this series is how does our faith intersect with that? How do we live out and apply some of the stuff that we discover maybe on a Sunday morning or um, in a midweek or in a small group, the stuff that we engage with as we read through the Bible, the stuff that we hear and that Jesus says, how do we live some of that stuff out? How does that intersect um, with our front line? So this series is relevant to, to all of us. You know, Whatever we think, whatever we believe, whatever our front line is, we all have a front line. So if you're a follower of Jesus and um, you've dedicated your life to living it as Jesus would if he was in your in your shoes, in your situation, the stuff that we talk about here in this series is massively relevant. How do I take those scriptural truths and actually apply them Monday through Friday or Saturday or whenever it is that you come to your front line? But maybe you're exploring faith or you're not sure um, about faith. Maybe you think, well, you know, I believe this about God or I believe this about Jesus, but I don't believe that. I'm not sure about all of those things. Again, the stuff um, that we're looking at is relevant uh, to you. There's some of the stuff that if we apply some of these truths or these principles that we engage with in Scripture, some of these things that Jesus says to our lives, actually, it can actually impact how we live our lives and what we do, how we interact and act with people. We don't have to actually believe in Jesus to apply some of his teachings um, to our lives. So wherever you are on that spectrum um, of faith, the stuff we're talking about um, is relevant. And Paul um, kicked off the series last week, and some of the stuff that we're doing is tying into an organization called LICC. That's another organization that we support um, at FBC, and LICC um, recognised that it, it's a challenge to live out your faith um, as a Christian wherever you are. The whole reason they exist is to resource um, people to, to live on their front line and to live out their faith. And sometimes, um, maybe you're the, you know, you feel like one of these red dots in, in the week, uh, that, that you're surrounded by people who don't think like you or don't share your values or don't share um, your faith, and it can be quite isolating and it can be quite lonely to live out our faith um, on our front lines. And there's times like this morning when we gather together and some of those red dots get clumped together or in a connect group in the week, we can gather together and support and encourage one another. But we spend the majority of our time um, scattered, disparate, separate, and thinking that can be a lonely and a difficult place. So again, the stuff we're talking about is trying to help inspire and motivate us to live out our faith. We've got some coasters um, that we're going to give away because everybody needs a coaster, uh, obviously, Um, just with these dots on it, you know, just as a reminder, maybe you want to take that to your front line, maybe you've got a desk somewhere and that's, that's where you spend a lot of your time, you could just stick that on your desk as a reminder that you're one of these dots. What does it mean for me to live out my faith, to apply some of the stuff that we're looking at wherever I am or this week or this day? And if stuff's getting really difficult and it's getting really bad, just turn it around and say, no, you can't come in, no entry sign uh, on those stuff. So they'll be there for you um, on the way out. And you might be thinking, well, why are we talking about work in church? You know, surely the two things 
things are very separate. You have your spiritual life over here, and then you have your real life over there. Well, if you've been coming to FBC for any length of time, hopefully you realize that we think the whole you know, faith and life go together, that Jesus has something to say about our whole of our life. And the reason we're doing this is I've adapted a, a phrase that we often use, is I thoroughly believe that Jesus makes work better, and he makes us better at work. You know, we often say Jesus makes life better, and he makes us better at life, but that, I think that's true as well. But for some of us, it might mean uh, we need to shift our understanding of what this means. What I don't mean is that if you follow Jesus and you apply his teachings, that you will become more successful, that, that you will achieve all your targets or, or your objectives, or that you'll get a pay rise or, or those sort of things. But what I do mean, if you live out the principles and the values that Jesus has um, given to us, actually your attitude, your actions, your values, your approach to work, the culture in which you work at, at will shift and will change, that the way that you go into Monday mornings will be different. And that has the power, that has the potential to transform the people that you work with, to transform the culture in which you work at. So that's what we're looking at um, throughout this uh, series. So the question I just want you to think about, and maybe as we go, you can think about your front line. You know, where is your front line? What is it for you? You know, picture that place where you spend most of your time. Picture the people that you come into contact with. Picture the things that you love about it and the things that you are challenging or a little bit more difficult. And as we go, you can think, well, how do I live that out? How do I apply that? How do I act on that in that context? But do you love your front line? Do you love uh, your job? Do you love your work? You know, apparently 53% of us are unhappy in our places of work. 53% of us are not satisfied or have not a sense of fulfillment about what we do with our time or with our job. And 25% of our life is spent at work. So are you content with, are you satisfied to spend a quarter of your life doing something that's not going to fulfill you, that you don't enjoy, that doesn't make you happy? Well, for me, I am not content to do that. I want my front line to be a place that's life-giving for me. I want it to be a place that I enjoy, a place uh, that I love. And I'm sure all of us, whatever we think, whatever we believe, are similar in that, that we want our front lines to be a place of joy, a place that is life-giving to us. And I wonder, what is the biggest factor for you that gets in the way of you enjoying your work? What's the thing, the most irritating thing, what's the thing that gets in the way of you getting the most, of you loving your job? And I'm sure if we went around the room and, and asked everybody, what is that thing, there'll be a whole range of stuff, but there'll be one common theme that I would imagine when that would come through for many of us, and that would simply be this. People, you know, it's the people that I have to work with. For many of us, it's not the job or the work or the task that we struggle with. For many of us, it's the people that we come into contact with. It's our, our boss or our colleagues or that irritating mum at the school gate or whatever it is. The people we come into contact with. You know, apparently, 75% of people don't leave their jobs, they leave their bosses. Now, the reason why many people leave their place of work or go looking for a new job is not because they, were, they weren't happy in what they were doing. It was because they were not happy with the people that they were doing it with. And therefore, you know, how can we live out our lives? How can we live out our faith in a place um, that actually, for some of us, isn't life-giving? If you could change one thing about your job, and it wasn't you know, more salary and less hours, because I'm sure all of us would say that, yeah, triple my salary and let me only have to work on a Sunday morning. Well, that's 
that's my job, isn't it? You could have chosen to do what I do, but you didn't. Uh, but there you go, it's your own fault. But if you could change one thing about your job that wasn't salary-related or hour-related, I'd imagine it would be related to people. You know, I'd like to change my boss, or I'd like to change that colleague or that employee. You know, for many of us, the things that we would change is about the people or how we interact with them. And that's the thing that's getting in the way of us loving our job. So what if there was a way that we could love our work whilst also coping or living with irritating people, whilst also dealing with those people at work that sometimes just seem to get in the way and make our life difficult. Well, I believe there is a way to do that, and I believe that way lies in the teachings of Jesus, that actually if we live out and apply some of the stuff that Jesus has to say on this, and Jesus has a lot to say on this, if we live according to that, actually that can shift our approach and shift our attitude into which we go into work and can have an impact on the people which we work with. And as I say, that's true, you know, whether you believe in Jesus or don't believe in Jesus. You know, as somebody who follows Jesus and has dedicated their life to living it as Jesus would if he was in my shoes, I see that the stuff that he talks about, the, the truths that are contained within Scripture are not only true, but they work. That when I apply them and when I live out of them, you know, my life is better, my work is better. And it's when I don't, it's when I turn my back on those things that I often come unstuck or I struggle with things. So that's what we're going to do and we're going to look at this morning. And you know, if you were to sum up the teachings of Jesus, if you were to take all of the commands in the Bible, all of those you know, um, things about, well, go and do this, live like this, think like this, and to drill them down into one statement, what would that be? Well, the great thing is Jesus has already done this for us. And it's simply this, love God through loving others. You know, the, the overarching um, ethic throughout Scripture, certainly through the New Testament, but we see it in the Old Testament as well, throughout the things that Jesus said and th- the things that Jesus did, is that we are called as followers of Jesus to love God, and the way that we're called to love God is through loving others. That's exactly what Jesus said. You know, people were trying to trip him up and say, you know, all of these commands of which there's hundreds and hundreds, Jesus, what's the most important one? And he simply said, it's to love God with everything you've got. But then he carried on, and he basically told them that the way that you love God with everything you've got is to love other people in the same way. So what we see throughout the New Testament, throughout what Jesus said, throughout the early church, is the way that we love God is through the way that we love the people we come into contact with. And often we think, and we talk about this a lot at FBC, we often think that faith is just this vertical private thing. It's just about me and God. And we miss the fact that faith is horizontal. It's about us and other people. The way I connect with God, the way I show my love and my devotion, the way that I worship God is done through the way that I love the people around me. In fact, actually the New Testament teaches that if you don't love the people you come into contact with, you don't love God at all. John, who was one of Jesus' best friends, said that, If you don't love others, you cannot love God, irrespective of what you say you think or what you say you believe, irrespective of you say, I go to church and I do these things and I'm a believer in Jesus. If you do not love the people around you, you do not, you cannot love God. It's so clear and so challenging in that. And we're going to look at something specifically that Jesus um, said about this whole thing. Matthew records it for us. Matthew wrote one of those gospels, one of those accounts of Jesus' life that we find at the beginning of the New Testament, and he's recording a message, a sermon that Jesus gave in Galilee on this, um, on a, like a mountainside. Um, 
crowds were gathered and they were listening to Jesus and it's called the Sermon on the Mount because he's on a mount and he's preaching to people. And as you look at the stuff that Jesus says in here, so much about what he's saying is about this horizontal morality, about how do we live life with one another? How do we show our devotion and worship to God through the way that we care for and with the way that we love other people? And as with most of the things that that Jesus says, most of these imperatives about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, it's not rocket science. It's not difficult to understand. The challenge comes in living it out. So we're going to explore that as we dive in. And this is what Jesus says. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, love your neighbor was his Old Testament command, uh, and that was given to the people of Israel, to love your neighbor. And the neighbor basically meant the person in front of you, whoever it was, the other person. Wherever you are, love the person in front of you. Love the person that you're coming into contact with. The challenge with that is that, you know, that sounds nice in principle, love your neighbor, but there's so many what-ifs, isn't there? There's so many buts uh, in that. Love your neighbor, but, but, but what if they're really irritating? You know, what if they're not pulling their weight? What if they're deliberately going out of their way to make my life difficult? You know, how, am I supposed to love my neighbor if they're one of those really irritating neighbors who lets their dog bark in the early hours of the morning or cuts their grass at seven o'clock on a Saturday morning? Surely I'm not to love them. And what happened is that the, because of all these clauses and because of all these what ifs and because of all these, you know, well, what do you mean by neighbors? The scribes who sort of wrote down these commands added a clause to that. And they took, you know, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Because, of course, it's all right to love our neighbors, it's all right to love the people close to us, but surely we're not supposed to love the people who are irritating. Surely we're not supposed to love our enemies. But Jesus has something to say to that. This is the ethic through which most people in this culture that Jesus was talking to live their life. Yeah, I'll love my neighbor, as in I'll define it like that, and those are the people that I get on well with. But anybody else, I will hate. And that's the way that we live in life, isn't it? If we're honest, that's how we do this. Jesus speaks into that and he says this, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So he's saying, don't just love the people that you love and hate the people that you hate. I want you to love your enemies. And I want you to pray for those people who, who persecute you. Now, we don't really deal with persecution anymore in our culture, which we're so, I'm so thankful for. But there are people who sort of seem to make it their life's ambition to make life difficult for us. You know, you probably work with some people uh, like that. They just get in the way and they make it difficult. And Jesus is saying, well, I want you to pray for those people. And I'd imagine most of us do. But if we're honest, what we're praying is, God, will you smite them? Would you send a bear to eat them? Would you pour down hailstone and brimstone, whatever brimstone is, and all that stuff? Will you destroy them? That's the sort of stuff that we probably would pray over them. But that's not what Jesus means. He's saying, I want you to pray blessing over them. I want you to seek good for them. I want you to love them. And what does love mean? Well, love simply means wanting what's best for that person. So don't just want what's best for your neighbor. Want what's best for your enemy. Want what's best for the people who go out of their way to make your life difficult. Now, this is not complicated to understand, is it? But if I was to say, okay, go and do this on Monday and tell me how you got on, that is where the challenge comes because, you know, that is really, really, really difficult. And you might think, well, why would I do this? Why would I go out of my way to love my boss who just wants to make my life difficult? Why would I go out of my way to love that colleague who always seems to push themselves forward 
forward and tries to take the promotion over me? Why would I go out of my way to love that other person who's just so lazy and they don't do their work and I feel like I have to pick up their slack and I have to pick up their, their load? Why would I go out of my way to love that other annoying parent at the school gate who's always going on about how wonderful their child is and how they can play grade eight piano even though they're only two? You know, that sort of stuff. Why would I do that? Well, this is what Jesus is talking about, and he gives us the inspiration uh, for doing that. And if you're a follower of Jesus, actually, this is what you signed up for. You know, because as a follower of Jesus, as a Christian, we say, I want to live my life according to your plans and your purposes. I want to live my life as you would if you were in my shoes. Jesus goes on. He says, when you do this, you know, that you may become children of your Father in heaven. I want you, don't just love your neighbor and hate your enemies. I want you to love your enemies. I want you to pray for um, those people who persecute you so that you may become like um, so that you may become children of your father in heaven you know when we love like this we love like god this is exactly how god loves us when we love like this we become children of god now that's an interesting thing you know is jesus saying the way that we become children of god is not through you know how we read the bible or the songs we sing or all those sort of things is jesus saying the way that we become children of god is through the way that we love other people you know, do I love people like this because I'm a child of God, or am I a child of God because I love people like that? You know, we could debate that and we could explore that, and I'm sure that'd be interesting, but almost it's a moot point because if you are a follower of Jesus, you are called to love people like this. And if you don't love people like this, you're not a follower of Jesus. That's what he's saying. You know, that's how extreme and how severe what that message is that that Jesus is giving to us. And maybe you're not a follower of Jesus and you're sitting there thinking this morning, I'm so glad I haven't signed up for this because that's really difficult. That's really challenging. Yes, it is. You know, being a follower of Jesus isn't for the faint-hearted. It isn't for the weak. It's not an easy option. It's a difficult, it's a challenging option. But what Jesus is saying is when we love like this, we begin to love like God and we become children of God. We become heirs to the kingdom of of God. You know, whoever I am, whatever I, whatever I try to do, wherever my front line is, as a follower of Jesus, I'm called to love like this. Last week, Paul talked about, well, what does it look like for a Christian to live out their faith on their front line? And he listed these six M's. And when we love like this, we fulfill so many of these principles. We model godly character. You know, we show to people, this is who God is, and this is what it looks like to follow God. We make good work. Actually, our attitude and our approach to what we do um, shifts. You know, we minister grace and love. When we love people like that, we love people, and we share grace, and we show love. We, we mold the culture in which we work. Actually, loving like this is transformational, and it shifts, and it impacts the, the environments, the places in which we work. We become a mouthpiece for truth and justice, if you love like that. You know, you have to speak up and speak out in those situations, and we become a messenger of the gospel. Gospel literally means good news. We proclaim through what we say, but also, more importantly, perhaps, through how we live our lives, that we share the truth and the transformation of who Jesus is through the way that we live our lives. You know, this is what it means to be a Christian on your front line, is to love people the way that God loves us. Jesus goes on, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? 
Any tax collectors in? Any people working for inland revenue? No, that's okay. The reason the tax collectors get a bad press often in the New Testament is because the tax collectors were working for the Roman Empire. That's the, the occupying force. And they would collect money on behalf of Caesar and would often, if you're a tax collector, you would give this amount of money to, to Rome and you would keep whatever was left. So often what would happen is the tax collectors were corrupt. They would ask for more and more of the people so they would keep all that money for themselves. So, you know, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? And not even the tax collectors doing that. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Pagans and tax collectors are getting a bit of a hard time from Jesus uh, this morning. You know, Jesus saying, you know, if you just love the people that love you, what's special about that? Everybody does that. Even the most evil person that you can think of loves the people who loves them. Jesus said, look, there's something different. There's something more powerful than that. You know, and he's introducing a new kind of love, a new way to love. Now, the English language is a little bit limited when it comes to love because we have one word, love, which means every sort of aspect of love. Friendship love, brotherly love, um, erotic love, whatever sort of love there is, it all comes under this banner um, of love. But in Greek, there was multiple words um, for love to describe the specific aspect of love. And the most common word in this culture was filio. And that's sort of like this love um, that is, you know, filio love is the way that most people love then in the way that most people love now. It's love that's dependent on the receiver. So I love you because you love me. I love you because of what you give back to me. That's how most of the people then loved and that's how most of us love. It's transactional, you know, and that's exactly what Jesus is saying, you know, what's, what's so special about loving those people who love you? What's so special about filio uh, and that stuff? Because everybody does that. And Jesus is introducing a new kind of love, a new way um, for love. And that word that he uses is agape. You might have come across this before. And if filio is that transactional love, that love that's dependent on the receiver, you know, I love you because of what you do for me or what you give back to me, agape is this transformational love that is dependent on the giver, that actually is not dependent on the receiver at all. And this is how God loves us. That God loves us not because of anything that we say, not because of anything that we do, not because of anything we think. God loves us because he loves us, because he loves us, because he loves us. You know, there's nothing that we can do that will make God love us more, and there is nothing that we can do to make God love us less. Why? Well, because God's love for you and God's love for me is not dependent on me. It is solely dependent on him. And the power of love, the transformational power of love is found in this agape love, this sacrificial, this selfless love, not in this transactional filio love. And so that's what Jesus is saying, is that I want you to agape. I want you to love the people you come into contact with, not just the people you like, but the people you don't like. Not just the people who you get on with, but the people who you don't get on with. Not just the people who want good things for you, but the people, especially the people who don't want good things for you in return. I want you to agape them. Why? Well, because I have loved you in this way. And when we live like this and when we love like this, something amazing happens. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Literally, this says in the original Greek, therefore you will be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, or so that you will be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This isn't a command, it's a result. That Jesus is saying that when you love like this, 
you achieve perfection. He's given us the secret to perfection. And it's not about scoring 100% in that test or that quiz. It's not about achieving all your targets and all your objections. It's about loving people the way that God has loved us. Why is that about perfection? Well, because life is far more about how we love one another than it is about how we perform. Life is far more about how we love one another than it is about how we perform. Now, do you believe that? Imagine the difference that would make to your life if you lived according to that principle. Imagine the difference. What impact would that have on your attitude towards work, on your attitude towards your colleagues, on your attitude towards the people you love and the people who don't love you? Imagine the difference that actually, if you really believed that life is more about how I love the people I come into contact with than it is about how I perform. My values would shift. What I do with my time would shift. What I do with my money would shift. My approach to Monday morning would shift drastically if I loved people that way and if I thought that is what life is all about. Now, this is what Jesus is saying. This is what we read constantly throughout the New Testament. And, and we sort of think, yeah, I'll agree with that when I'm in my Christian church mode, but when I get into work mode, I don't live like that. I don't think like that, and I certainly don't love like that. That is why it's so difficult. So how do we love like this? You know, if this is what we're called to as followers of Jesus, if that's who you are, how do we actually do that? Because that sounds really difficult, and that sounds really challenging. Well, I want to just highlight three quick areas in which you can apply some of this um, in a work context. But it starts with asking yourself this question. What does love require of me? What does agape require of me? And actually, that's a great, great question to ask wherever you are, you know, not just on your front line. You know, when you're at home or, or wherever, when you're spending your money, when, you, when you're watching TV, whatever it is, if we ask ourselves that question, what does love require of me? What does agape require of me in this context? And then act it out. Obviously, you can't just ask a question and then not do anything with it. I say that, but that's what we do all the time, isn't it? We reflect on it, and then we'll just carry on doing what we've always done. But if we live according to that, that would shift our lives massively. Our attitudes, our values, our actions, what we think, say, and do would be transformed overnight if we lived like that. So let's take that question and let's apply it to three crucial areas, crucial aspects of our front line. The first one is communication. How many problems do you have at work because of poor communication? Because you didn't communicate something properly or somebody didn't communicate something properly to you? How many issues do you face at work because of passive-aggressive communication? Somebody's upset about something or irritated about something, and instead of talking to the person that they need to talk about, they talk to everybody else and then sends that snotty email. And then what does that do? Well, you send a quick snotty email back, and it escalates and escalates and escalates. Instead of actually going to somebody and speaking face-to-face about something, so often the problems that we face at work are because of poor communication. What does love require of me when it comes to communicating at work? You know, how much time and energy should I spend to ensure that my colleagues are informed about what they need to be informed about? But the thing about communication, we often think it's about being communicated to, but it's not. You know, it's also about, well, how do I ensure that I find out what I need to find out? How do I take the initiative to, ins- to ensure that I'm being communicated to? You know, if you don't know something, instead of sitting there and sh- about it and gossiping and complaining, you know, why don't we actually get up and do something and find out and seek that? 
what does love require of me when it comes to communicating? How do I speak to people? How do, you know, instead of just sending an email to the person who's in the cubicle next to me, why don't I just turn and face them and talk to them and actually have a conversation? What does love require of me in that place? The second C, they all begin with C, because otherwise my head explodes if they don't have that alliteration, is care. You know, what does love require of me when it comes to care at work? Again, often in a workplace, and certainly a paid employment, we forget that people are people, don't we? We forget that human beings are human beings, and, and you know, everybody's got a backstory, that behind every action and every reaction is a story. And we just think that people are, you know, well, you're there to do that task, and yeah, you, you've got life, but that doesn't come into contact, context here. You know, we're all human beings, and we've all got burdens to, um, to carry. How do I care for the people I come into contact with? We're all guilty of the fundamental attribution error. Um, that, you know, when you do something wrong, when you miss a deadline, it's because of external factors. It's because of the other pressure that you're under. It's because you've got so many other tasks to do, or something bad happened to you that week. It's because of something external from you. But when a colleague misses a deadline, when a colleague doesn't perform well, it's because they're lazy and they're worthless and they don't care. You know, we don't apply the same slack that we apply to ourselves to the people around us. What does love require of me? when it comes to caring for my colleagues? What does love require of me when it comes to actually helping them carry that burden that they're carrying? When it comes to actually being interested in what they do beyond Monday to Friday, nine to five? What does love require of me you know, when it means come to giving a little bit of grace and a little bit of space because people are people and we've all got burdens that we're carrying? And the problem is, as we think about things, that, well, that's great, and I want people to do that for me, but if I do that for everyone, they'll take advantage of me, and I will never get anything done. And that's where the third C comes in, challenge. What does love require of me when it comes to challenge? You know, again, challenge is something that most of us are rubbish at, because <laughs> we hate conflict, so we shy away from it. Actually, if something needs addressing, and if something needs challenging, to not do that isn't to love the person. To actually ignore um, things that need addressing or need challenging actually isn't about love at all. A thing that you learn from Jesus is he constantly challenged people, and actually sometimes quite forcefully and quite aggressively. But Jesus is Jesus, so I'm not going to question him uh, on that. But what does it look like for me? What does love require of me when it comes to challenging at work, when people haven't done what they've said they've done, or people aren't behaving in the way that they're not behaving? You know, it certainly doesn't mean me going and talking to somebody else, but it comes back to that communication bit about how do I address those things and how do I share those things. You know, this is the, what we're called to as followers of Jesus, is to love people like this, to not ignore the issues. Why don't we do this? You know, why don't we ask this question? Why don't we uh, communicate through love and care through love and challenge through love? Well, the main reason is it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of energy and a lot of hard work. And if I'm honest, I'd rather just focus on myself. That's generally the reason we don't do this, but we're called to do that. Imagine the difference this would make if we love like that. Imagine the difference that it would make to our um, places of work, that it would make to our colleagues if we thought about communication, care, and challenge from a place of love. Imagine the impact it would have on our environment or our attitude, that just for ourselves individually, that how we approach Monday morning would shift, and people would see that, and it would begin to shift in them as well. See, love is transformational. It is powerful, and it can change people's lives. 
Paul, who was one of the leaders of the early church, wrote this famous passage in a letter to the church in Corinth, all about love, in chapter 13. And it's read at many people's weddings, but Paul's not talking about that romantic love. He's not talking about that love between a husband or a wife, although this stuff is still relevant to that. He's talking about this love together, this corporate love. How do we love one another? What does that look like? Well, it looks like this. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. You know what? I want to experience that kind of love on my front line. That's how I want people to love me. I want that patience and I want that kindness. I want that trusting. I want that protecting. I want that hoping. I want that perseverance. I don't want to experience that failure. I want people to love me like that. How do I go about that? How do I make my place of work that? Well, it starts with me. It starts with me loving like that. Being willing to agape like that, being patient and kind and living according to those things. Just imagine the difference that this would make on your life and on your colleagues and your place of work, on your front line, whatever your front line is, if you love like this. Isn't this what you want for yourself? And isn't this what you want for the people you come into contact with on your front line? How do we experience this? To see love at work, we've got to simply love at work, apply this stuff, live out of this stuff. And that's difficult and that's challenging, but as we seek to do that and as we stand on God and look to Him, He will give us the strength to love the people that we need to love, to love our enemies like this. Why? Well, because He has loved us in the same way, that whilst we were far off, and rebellious against him. He loved us and he lavished love on us. He poured love out upon us, that he demonstrated reckless love for us through what he has done for us. And if we lean into him and look to him, he will give us the strength and give us the discipline to love like this, but he won't do it for us. But we look to him and say, God, will you help me love like this? Transform me so that I can be an agent of transformation in my workplace. We will see our front lines transformed. Let's stand together. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you so much for your love for us. I thank you that your love for each and every one of us is not dependent on us. It's solely dependent on you. That you love us if we believe in you and if we don't believe in you. That you love us if we look for you and if we don't look for you. That you love us if we behave and if we don't behave. And I thank you that that love that you've given to me and to many of us in this room has transformed us from the inside out. Father God, I pray that you'd help us take that love onto our front lines this week. That we may agape in the way that you have agaped us. And as it transforms us, may it transform our front lines. Bless us, Lord.